This is Capital and Scott. I'm Laura Farrar. It's been about two months since the Mississippi River experienced one of the worst droughts in history. The water was so low that thousands of barges were stuck in the mud for days. The traffic jam meant that commodities like soybeans, corn, and rice, which are staples of the agriculture economy in Arkansas, could not make it to domestic and international markets. While conditions have improved for now, scientists warn that this year's historic drought won't be the last. On today's show, we explore how droughts on the mighty Mississippi will impact commodity markets and, in turn, the bottom line for Arkansas farmers and the state's economy. In the second half of Capital and Scott, I'll speak with Hunter Byram, who's an extension crop economist with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture. But first, we start at Osceola with Jeff Worsham, who's the port manager at Poinsett Rice and Grains Loading Facility on the Mississippi River for an update on how things are going. There are dozens of trucks lined up at the port's entrance. They're filled with soybeans that couldn't be sold during the height of the harvest season this fall because the river was too low. Now farmers are playing catch up. Usually this time of year, there are about 70 trucks bringing beans to the port every day. Right now, there are at least 120. Worsham is sucking samples of the golden soybeans out of the backs of the trucks with what looks like a giant silver straw to test their quality. We're taking in beans. Uh, actually, are coming one. Part of them are coming from our other facility, but most of them are coming off the farms. This is stuff that should have come in in October. But due to the low water and uh, lack of barges and several other problems, the farmers put them in the bin and held them for a few months. And so now we're playing catch up, getting them on the river and down to New Orleans. Uh, in December instead of October. Worsham says that at one point in October, about $50 million worth of commodities were stuck on about 100 barges that were stranded at the port. When did you finally start to see conditions like improving? Probably about three weeks ago, about in the end of November, about that time frame. Oh wow, so pretty recently. Yeah. Which it made it a lot better when the farmers got the beans out of the field and they're in the tanks. And the beans, uh, that way we're not worried about weather and having somewhere to put them. Actually, during October, we couldn't take beans like we needed to. And we put them in a big warehouse out here that we normally use for rice, but we put beans in it. That's not unusual to have a dry period, September, first part of October. But it continued and continued, so the river kept falling and just kept getting worse, you know worse than anyone we'd ever seen. Yeah, so what exactly did happen? I mean, we saw pictures of parts of the river all you know, up and down the Mississippi with almost no water. Started to hear stories of the barges just being stuck. Like what, what kind of, what was the sequence of events here? At this That's port? pretty much, we, we got barges and loaded and the line boats to take them to New Orleans weren't picking them up. And we were steady bringing in empty barges to try to get the crops out of the field. And, farmers and it and it didn't rain so the farmers never quit cutting soybeans so we just 
kept packing everything in, thinking we were going to get a rain. It never happened. And eventually, that where we couldn't move. We just, we just was in a bottleneck, traffic jam. I mean. So, what, I mean, did, could you see it from here? Uh, what the yeah, boats? our barges were full. I mean, our port was full of barges, and we just didn't have anywhere to put any more loaded barges at the time. We were only loading 60 percent and cutting back on our hours, and I was just trying to spread it out. So was there any time that was like the worst like period for you all, like a week or two that was like very yeah, concerning? Probably the last couple of weeks of October. Uh, maybe the last half of October was probably the worst time. Uh, which that's also the main peak harvest period. So we had the most beans coming in and the least amount of water in the river. The worst time we had the river was blocked at Lake Providence where it was shut down at Lake Providence, Louisiana because of a barge hit the sandbar and had the river blocked and they were dredging. So the whole river was shut down for a little over a week to northbound and southbound traffic. So what does that mean for your business when something like this happens? Uh, it, it, it cost everyone. I mean, we, we were paying a lot more for freight to ship beans and uh, more man hours just lot less productive than we normally are. And then the farmers were also, what, were, what was their concern, that they just couldn't get the stuff to market? Or Yeah, that's uh, having somewhere to go with the crops. Not, you know, they don't want to leave them in the field. Uh, that That's their concerns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're pretty fortunate around here with a lot of storage. And most of that's used for rice, but this year was a little smaller rice crop, so a lot, a lot had extra storage that they even Used, neighbors used and used theirself to, to get the crops out. At this point, do you feel confident that you can make up any financial loss from from the drought, or is it how's this year looking? I, I don't think you ever make up financial loss, but we'll just keep on, you know, and try to overcome what we've what we're behind on. Freight rates went. We normally were paying somewhere around 50 cents a bushel to get beans down the river this time of year or in October, and we were paying 3.50, so seven times as high freight rate. Right, but that we weren't prepared or didn't, you know, didn't have budgeted in those uh, beans that we had bought. The, the Mississippi drought, I think, has been historic and eye-opening for businesses and farmers. Um, do you feel like it's going to somehow alter how you all do business or think about things or is there anything that you all are thinking about now that you didn't before because it was so so severe? Uh, yeah, I'm sure that it's going to be on everybody's minds for several years. Uh, a lot of your farmers are probably going to put more storage in or at least save some storage for, for bean harvest, soybean harvest. Hopefully this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Uh, who, who knows? We'll be right back with more Capital and Scott. Hi, this is Laura Farrar. The stories we dive into on Capital and Scott are just a fraction of the reporting the Democrat Gazette brings to readers every day. If you'd like to support our commitment to bringing you the latest in Arkansas news, sports, and entertainment, consider subscribing to the Democrat Gazette. With your subscription, you'll get a digital edition of the newspaper every morning, along with the latest news and updates delivered to you on an iPad provided at no extra cost. 
For just $34 a month, you'll get the same award-winning journalism you've come to expect from the Democrat Gazette, plus exclusive photo galleries, videos, articles, and digital extras like this podcast, all in the palm of your hand. To sign up today, call 1-800-482-1121 or visit us online at arkansasonline.com forward slash subscribe. We're back in the Capitol and Scott studio with Hunter Byram, who's an assistant professor and crop economist with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture. He's been following the Mississippi River drought and its impact on farmers. Hunter, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. So with the Mississippi River, on a scale of one to 10, like how bad was what happened in the fall with the drought? I'd say easily a 10. It was it, it was not only, you know, did it impact price, but it just came at such a bad time. Uh, that's the key part of harvest. It's a key part of harvest for soybeans. Corn had mostly finished up, but corn was still uh, being harvested. Rice also being harvested. And so it uh, came at a tough time, impacted prices uh, at harvest. And uh, it, was, it was pretty difficult, pretty bad time. I mean, I can't think of a worse time for that to happen. <laughs> so in terms of your job, like, how were you following this? And when did it kind of come on your radar screen in terms of what you monitor as an agriculture economist or crop economist? Sure. Uh, so I uh, started following it in September. Uh, you know, we, we did have the drought this summer, and uh, that impacted livestock a lot. There was a lot of uh, thinning out happening, a lot of selling happening because farmers weren't able to feed their cows. And so uh, that was that was put on my radar, and but I never really thought about how this could be prolonged. Uh, I mean, we had a few spots here and there where it might have rained some in August, but September came around and we never got a big rain, never got a big rain. And then all of a sudden I saw a news headline for uh, the Mississippi River and it was, you know, I was like, well, okay, maybe it'll rain here in a week or two. Well, it never rained. And next thing you know, we're we're getting calls from elevators. We're hearing from people in the industry and they're like, hey, this is, this is really bad. And so then we decided, okay, well, let, let's do some analysis on this. Let, let's figure out uh, what could happen and how we can best educate people on what is happening and so we followed that from September all the way I'd say through November um, and then in November around Thanksgiving we got a lot of rain of course it was kind of like well good we have the rain just didn't come at the right time uh, but we're always glad for the rain and ag for sure so I, I, w- I would follow that and I followed the United States Geological Survey uh, they uh, they have a nice figure that shows what those water levels are doing across time and in daily water levels and those water levels were at um, I believe 1980 like record low so I mean, we haven't had the Mississippi be that low since about in July 1988 it's been a long time and so this is a big event it doesn't happen very often but when it does the impact is very severe and so then I would follow that water level I would follow what basis is doing and uh, basis is simply the cash price offered by the local elevator minus the futures price which is traded globally so I would follow basis basis tends to, to capture transportation cost and so we follow basis and basis was at a historic low like 100 25 cents under and so for my farmers out there you know that's a really big deal normally it's about 35 cents under so we're talking almost a full dollar less per bushel on those bushels uh, due to the Mississippi River issue. Um, and so I'd follow basis, follow the water levels and check the weather and just pray that it would rain. 
You know, across the world this year, we've seen some of the major rivers experience similar droughts in China, in Europe, uh, I think in Latin America as well. And I think here in the United States, we don't, I mean, you know, sure, the Mississippi River gets low. And a lot of the attention this summer was on the drought that was impacting farmers in the Delta. In fact, we did a, a podcast on it as well. But I, I feel like no one really, I don't know, did people just not see this this coming, or at least the severity of it? It's just, because um, I mean, it's a global trend with these huge waterways, at least recently. Sure. I mean, to be fully transparent, I was taken aback by it. I was very surprised by this as well. And something that I learned was just how important these other rivers in the U.S., how important they are to the Mississippi River. So like the Arkansas River, for instance, um, the Ohio River, you know, there the rivers up in the Midwest, the rivers over in the Great Plains, and how those empty into the Mississippi River. And so when you have widespread drought across the country, yeah, you're going to be missing that water right over the Mississippi, the rain right over the Mississippi. But if there's no rain anywhere else, you're also missing those key water sources that feed into the Mississippi. And Mississippi is a key supply chain uh, channel, so to speak, to get grain downriver for export and to bring in inputs for production that will go upriver all the way from the mouth of uh, the Gulf of Mexico all the way up into Illinois and Indiana and that area. Right. So when the water was getting so low that these thousands of barges were just like being stuck stuck getting stuck in the mud literally right what did farmers how did they react to this like how quickly did they have to react what were the decisions that they had to make in order to either get their crop out because they'd already harvested it or preserve it i guess until a later date yeah they were faced with a really tough decision you know the drought came at one of the worst times like i mentioned at harvest and so there was this trade-off of okay i need i can harvest now and see if the elevator will take it or call around and see if somebody will take it or try and wait this thing out a little bit longer just to see if see if any more barge traffic increases to be able to take advantage of greater prices or higher prices due to better transportation. So it was more, it was, you know, yeah, they got to get the, they got to get the crop out because you don't want to suffer any yield losses, but then you're also suffering at the elevator with those lower cash prices being received. So, I mean, it was a very difficult decision to go one way or the other. Uh, By and large, producers would, for those who had on-farm grain storage, would just store their soybeans, for example, in that, in that grain bin. So that later they could take advantage of better cash prices. But farmers who did not have grain storage, they really had no choice but to take it to the elevator. They That was their only option was to take it to the elevator. And then the elevator then had to find a place to put it. You know, normally they would they would put it in a nice facility uh, that was that's going to be keeping the, the, the grain dry. But we saw even some areas, some elevators, they would have a clear concrete slab essentially and just throw ground on that slab and then throw a plastic tarp over it. I mean, it was, it was weird. It was very unusual. Right. Um, Jeff Worsham, who I interviewed in Poinsett earlier this month, was saying that he had heard that some ports or whatnot were having to literally pile crops or beans, rice, whatever, like on the concrete, as you were saying. Yeah. And and so, you know, simply at the local level, that means there there are a lot of stocks there. There's a lot of grain on hand. And so when that happens, you see that uh, cash price that a farmer will receive fall. I mean, when supply goes up, prices come down. I mean, that's that, that that's 101. And so you saw that reflected in that lower basis because that cash price was going down. And I mean, some farmers were losing a dollar a bushel that they could have gotten if the Mississippi River had been up. So, I mean, these are pretty costly. They're costly, uh, costly decisions. They're costly. I mean, really costly circumstances. And the farmer doesn't really have a lot of control over it. And also were the because the freight 
prices increased so much, that somehow does trickle down That's right. to the producers That's as right. well. That's right. These freight rates were crazy high. I mean, they were they were un- unusually high. And the increased freight rate then gets passed on to the farmer in the form of these lower prices. So here's how essentially that works. When you get a grain a grain buyer is going to be buying grain from the farmer, so it's actually a cost to them. And then they got to be able to uh, to be able to sell that later on down down the supply chain and so because uh, it was expensive for them and in terms of the cost of transportation with the increased freight rate so they have increased cost on the freight rate side because they have that increased cost they need to decrease their cost in another way they don't have any control over what's going on with that freight rate but they have more control over how they buy from producers and so since that is a cost that they can control they're going to actually bid lower and offer lower prices for the farmer to try and decrease that overall cost of moving grain from the truck from the farm to the port of new orleans essentially so i think the worst of it was what mid to late october yeah um we're now almost at the end of december what's yeah. what's this what's the status with the river now yeah. and with these farmers who were so heavily impacted right so um in terms of the river we're almost back to where we were a year ago um which is which is good i mean we're we're at about the same level that we were a year ago which is which is a good level we have uh barges that are moving up and down river so that's good we have barges moving up and down river and farmers are now selling the grain if they had grain storage if they had on-farm grain storage they are now selling that grain to take advantage of higher cash prices and we see that in this higher basis so earlier i think i mentioned that basis was 125 cents uh, under which means that that cash price was 125 cents or a dollar 25 less than the futures price now we're seeing uh, across up and down the delta region uh, in arkansas along the mississippi river we're seeing like 60 cents over so now we're seeing the cash price being 60 cents greater so i mean that's 185 cents when that's a dollar 85 swing from whenever that river was low to where it needs to be now and so you see farmers emptying out that grain bin they're taking advantage of those premium prices i say premium it's all relative it's premium to what it was taking advantage of premium prices and barges are moving up and down river and so then on the 2022 harvest side that's what's happening but we're also looking at 2023 and getting ready to plant for 2023 and so what's important about that is that we import a lot of nitrogen fertilizer. We, we do produce a lot of nitrogen fertilizer, but we're actually a net importer of uh, nitrogen fertilizer. In fact, across the world, we are the number three importer of nitrogen fertilizer. India would be number one, followed by Brazil, and uh, then you have us. And then we think about exporters. Exporters. Russia is number one exporter of nitrogen fertilizer. They're, they are number one, uh, and China would be number two. And so thing about getting the fertilizer from Russia and China into the U.S., you know, that's a really big deal. Some people are concerned, well, aren't there sanctions in Russia? Well, there are sanctions placed on uh, Russia due to the Russia-Ukraine war. But what's important is that fertilizer is exempt from the sanctions. So Russia is still exporting fertilizer, and we're, we're still importing Russian fertilizer right now. It's just being able to get that from the Port of New Orleans all the way up into Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Illinois, Iowa. That's that's critical uh, right now. So that's where the Mississippi River comes in, to be able to move that fertilizer from the Port of New Orleans, which is coming from across the globe, 
further inland into the U.S. so that we can prepare for 2023 harvest. And that's okay right now. The barges can move. Barges are barges are moving, and uh, we're already seeing that that nitrogen fertilizer price is falling, according to our University of Arkansas crop, crop enterprise budgets. Um, that, those prices are falling relative to last year. Now, overall, the prices are still very high for nitrogen fertilizer, but just compared to last year, we're seeing that price come down some. So... With the farmers and having to make these, I would probably guess relatively fast. I don't know how quickly you have to make decisions like this, but are there winners? I mean, it seems a bit like a gamble. Like, are there oh, winners absolutely. and losers here in Arkansas, would you say? Absolutely. I would say the big winners are the ones who had on-farm grain storage. I think those are the, the number one winners in this case uh, to be able to take advantage of 60 cents over basis. I mean, that's that's huge. That's a big, a big recovery. You know, normally you're looking at about 35, 40 cents over. So, I mean, even compared to like the five-year average, so to speak, uh, they're getting pretty strong uh, cash prices for those who have the grain storage. If you didn't have grain storage, um, you were a loser, you know, and, you know, I hate to say that, but that, but, but that is the truth. And they would, and the people who don't have storage would say, yeah, nope, I lost, I lost, I lost a lot of money on that. And so, you know, looking, looking ahead is, you know, is, is there potential there? Should, should you be you know, investing in on-farm grain storage? Of course, that's a farm level decision, but it's something to think about. It's something that all farmers should be thinking about. I would say another winner uh, could potentially be those who had crop insurance because uh, crop insurance provides protection based on futures prices and based on actual production that's going to be on the farm. And so if there were any revenue losses because of the lower cash prices, that crop insurance could have came in and maybe provided an extra layer of protection. So if you had on-farm grain storage as a form of risk management, crop insurance as a form of risk management, you were more than likely a winner and you were padded against that catastrophic event and that risk. You said gamble, 100%. I mean, we uh, in agriculture, uh, we're always gambling against the weather, against the elements, against the markets. And so there's always risk. And so the best thing to do is to have a risk management strategy uh, that'll work best for your farm and uh, that will uh, help you to stabilize your income so that you can eventually continue to do what you do, but also to provide for your family. Are these risk management strategies getting harder to create? They are. They are. So, uh, you, you know, I would say that earlier on, there was a big emphasis, at least in Arkansas, on uh, the direct payments that were offered by the Farm Bill, uh, which is set to be debated next year. Uh, but we don't have direct payments anymore. What we do have is a uh, market-driven program that provides protection um, and it provides there's one program that provides price protection there's one program that provides revenue protection but still those have not been too too helpful and they're also very complicated to talk through and understand and so to make that decision it involves a lot of learning on the part of the farmer and so you also so then you have that we have the, what we call those commodity programs but we also have crop insurance that I just mentioned and crop insurance uh, I do consider myself an expert in crop insurance, but I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I mean, it is, there's a lot to learn with, uh, with the United States crop insurance industry and how that works. So to be able to tease out what's the best crop insurance choice for me, what's the best coverage level, what's the best product, that's complicated. From a forward pricing standpoint, so you, so, so you mentioned points at rice and grain, these farmers can call ahead to the elevator and they can talk with, with, with a grain buyer and say, hey, what is, the, uh, what is, uh, what is your price looking like for harvest rice? Right now, like they could call right now if they wanted to, and then the person at Poinsett would say, "This is the price that we're going to be offering, you know, in the future for future delivery at harvest time." And so, if the farmer sees that price and it's a favorable price in terms of it'll help cover cost, 
he can go ahead and say, well, I want to promise to bring you a certain amount of bushels at that price. And that he can be calling, making that call right now. Even though he doesn't have the grain, he can be saying, yeah, I want to go ahead and do that. So we call that forward pricing because you're going to be promising to deliver grain at a future date at a specified price, a specified location. So there's the farm bill programs, crop insurance, forward pricing, and then I'm not even going to get into futures and hedging. But there, there are multiple tools available, but to be able to figure out what is best at the farm level, it requires a lot of education and a lot of patience and time. And I, and, and I tell you, that just seems to be having patience and time, the luxury of patience and time just seems to be dwindling away more and more. Sure. I, and not getting into the economics of it too much, but I mean, obviously there's always global uncertainty with supply and demand. This year we've had and I guess it was yeah this year whenever the war in Ukraine started. Right. Um, but fundamentally, when you for people who look at futures and commodities, does some did these become more volatile or is something changing just with how you approach investing and making money off of these markets? Sure, the markets have been uh, relatively more volatile. I mean we. We saw huge price increases and price changes, uh, price decreases and price increases. Uh, so cotton, for instance, is a great example of how the volatility is increasing. You know, we, we saw cotton prices upwards of $1.21 a pound, and then they fell to about $0.81 cents a pound. So, I mean, you're looking at over a 30% drop in price from about August to October. I mean, just a couple of months, and that I mean, when you're when you're talking about thousands of pounds per acre, I mean, the state average is about 1,100 pounds per acre, and you multiply that by about 40 cents, that's that's a pretty big hit, pretty big hit on what your revenue is going to look like, and uh, that's just within a few months. It's it's uh, it's it is unusual. Uh, corn is pretty pretty volatile uh, right now, uh, mostly driven by these uh, increased cost of production with increased fertilizer cost, and figuring out okay. You know, it, can we even plant this? Should we plant this? Corn's also relatively more risky to grow because you know you have tall stalks and stalks, and so there's the risk of wind snapping them over. We call that green snap. There's also this rain risk because we plant that sooner, and there's normally more rain earlier in the season. So. Corn tends to be a little bit more volatile, and uh, given that we've had way more hurricanes and extreme weather events in the past 10, 15 years, um, you're seeing a lot more uh, yield risk, yield volatility, which also plays into price risk and price volatility. Um, So corn, cotton would be my two that I think about whenever I think about increased price volatility. I've read that the losses from this, the fallout could be into the billions of dollars. I've seen figures as high as 20 billion from this drought. Do we know yet? So billions is definitely across the U.S. Billion, billions is the number. Uh, in, in Arkansas, it would be in the millions. Trying to remember off the top of my head what that number is going to look like. I want to say it's between ten and twenty million dollars, just drought-related losses, and those are going to be measured in indemnities from the RMA. So that's actually going to be a way underestimate, I would say, because not everybody enrolls in crop insurance. So that number is only coming from crop insurance participants. Uh, there are going to be other people who did not participate in crop insurance, and they're going to be experiencing losses as well. So that's that's going to be a low a lower bound on what that is, but it's definitely going to be in the millions for just drought-related losses and. Arkansas alone, but uh, billions across the country. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to Capital and Scott, which is produced by Nick Popowich and hosted by me, Laura Farrar. From everyone at the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, happy holidays. We'll be back the first week of 2023.